1: There is a story for everyone here, because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybox. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom and I believe it's my purpose to help you realise your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you are here today. Now, let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. If you own a business currently, have you considered the possibility of selling? Well, I know not many of you have actually probably thought about selling your business and rightly so. There's not many of us out there that when we start a business, we think about the opportunity of actually selling it later on down the track. Well, my guests today are two amazing human beings that I feel like you are going to love hearing their wisdom and advice on this matter. Their names are Michelle, Seela, Tucker and Sharon Lecter. Now, for those of you that don't know who these ladies are, they are the authors of Exit Rich, the 6P method to sell your business for huge profit. I've read half the book so far, and it is quite an interesting read. Some of the things that I was reading in there, I had no idea about. So if you do find this conversation interesting, then you will find the book even more interesting. So go and get a copy of that. It's available wherever books are sold. But Sharon Lecter is an entrepreneur, author, philanthropist, international speaker, and chartered global management accountant with over 35-year career as a licensed CPA and a lifelong education uh, advocate. She's the founder and CEO of Pay Your Family First, a financial education organization. Um, regarded as a global expert on financial literacy. Sharon has served as a national spokeswoman and presidential advisor on the topic uh, for two US presidents. She co-authored the international bestseller, and I'm sure everyone would know this one, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and has released 14 other books in the Rich Dad, Poor Dad series. Um, And she has over 10 years as a, Co founder and CEO. She led the Rich Dag Company and brand into the international powerhouse that it is today. Now, Michelle Seela Tucker is the author. Of the book, Exit Rich, Uh, she's a founder of Seela Tucker Incorporated. She has sold hundreds of businesses to date and currently owns and operates several successful businesses as well. She is leading authority on buying, selling, and improving businesses as well as increasing business revenue streams. She often posts about these topics on the business company business blog, which you can go and check out too. But these two women are great powerhouses. Now, the first person you're going to hear from is um, uh, Sharon Lecter. So she shares her side of things about writing the book and advice. So both of these ladies share and offer very different insights that I think you guys are going to find very interesting. And the next person you hear from is Michelle Seela tucker So if you do get something from this conversation, please go and share it around to your friends and family. Let everyone know about this one. I have no doubt you guys are gonna get inspired by their charisma and their wisdom as well. If you haven't thought about selling your business, maybe this might spark the conversation. Who knows? Um, I know, trust me, I ask all those questions. Believe you me. Uh, (laughs) So my friends, all the links that you need are all in the show notes below. Don't forget before you leave to subscribe and leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts goes a huge way in continuing to build this incredible community more and more. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to enter poor and then exit rich. (laughs) Uh, Don't worry, guys, I'm making this stuff up as I go along. Trust me. But it's time to journey into the story box with me as we learn, listen, grow from the incredible wisdom and stories from none other than Sharon Lecter and Michelle Seela Tucker.
2: Well, thank you so much, Jay. I'm delighted to be with you and I'm excited to share the new book with your audience.
1: The excitement and joy of having you on here is all mine because the moment I heard about the title of this book, it intrigued me immensely. So I'm glad that we can finally make the time to actually do this. Before we dive into your new book and all your, your story and lessons that you know no doubt have, um, I have one question I love asking all my guests at the very start, which is, what does success look like for you?
2: Well, I love that question, Jay, because a lot of people, because I teach about money and success, people assume that I think success is all about dollars and cents. Mm -hmm. And I believe success is how you feel about yourself when you look in the mirror and has nothing to do with the money in in the bank account. Um, I consider Mother Teresa was very successful and it wasn't because of money. And so do you feel proud of the person you're looking at when you're looking in the mirror? That's success.
1: When was the moment for you that you realized that this was success and not the financial or the stuff factor? Has it been this gradual thing over your life or was there a catalyst moment somewhere?
2: Well, I think I grew up with a father that would ask me each night, Sharon, have you added value to the world, to someone's life today? And so he's been gone for 15 years, but I still ask myself that every night. Have you added value to someone's life today? And I just actually had another podcast interview for my podcast earlier today by, with a young man that he told me 16 years ago, you spoke at an entrepreneur class at the University of Arizona. Only did that once. This mm-hmm. is a result of that class. I now stand before you as a multimillionaire in real estate. He told me that about six months ago, we were at a launch for Tariq el Moussa's uh, new fund for investing in real estate, and he's his partner and i um i had the chance to to get to know chris better chris hansen and we know my husband and i now invest in their fund so we're talking full circle you never know the impact you're going to have on someone's life mm. and i think we talk about legacy is not what you leave behind you it's every single day your legacy is created with the hearts that you touch
1: mm. do you do you remember what you said in that speech and did he tell you what was it specifically that kind of motivated him to become a multimillionaire?
2: Well, it was 16 years ago. So it was all about um, going down and speaking to the college students in the entrepreneurship class about the principles of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm. And we even played the game cash flow with them at that time.
1: So. Wow. Okay. So tell me about your the start of your career. Did you always want to do this? Uh, in your life, be a speaker, coach, uh, be in business, invest, be even part of the rich dad, poor dad uh, sphere, or was it sort of a complete shock to you?
2: Well, I think, you know, it it evolves. I um, grew up in a very lower middle class home. We lived in a tiny house between my mom's beauty shop, my dad's used car lot. Um, We had rental properties that at 10 years old, I had to go scrub out bathrooms between tenants. I hated it. I swore I'd never be an entrepreneur. I wanted to become a sophisticated professional. So I was first generation of my family go to college. I got my degree in accounting. I was one of the very first women in public accounting, young, single in Atlanta, Georgia. I thought it was, you know, the cat's meow. (laughs) And about the ripe old age of 25, I was working incredibly long hours. And I said, hmm. My parents started looking a lot smarter because they were in control of their own destiny. And I was not. Somebody else was controlling my time and somebody else was benefiting from all of my hard work. And so at 25, I had one of my clients invite me to lead public accounting and join him in purchasing a company out of bankruptcy for new technology. And it was a huge opportunity. Um, and at that point in time, I, I remember sitting in my apartment with doing the old pros and cons list. And it didn't help me a bit. Because I could argue both sides, Mm -hmm. upwardly mobile career versus owning a piece of the rock, right? Mm -hmm. And um, my hand took off across the top of the page and said, why not? And that's still my mantra today. Why not solve a problem or serve a need? That's what every successful business does. Why not go the road less traveled? Why not? do what other people are not doing. And so I made the decision decision to leave public accounting. It actually happened to be a really bad decision. But had I not made that, I wouldn't have met a young attorney named Michael Lecter. And we are celebrating 41 years of marriage soon. So um, as Napoleon Hill says, out of the um, every adversity comes a seed of an equal or greater benefit. So I got instant feedback, bad decision, best life decision. Mm -hmm. And that started, um, we got married, had kids. I started Woman's Magazine, sold it. Then I started always thinking about problems to solve or needs to serve. My kids didn't like to read. I met the inventor of the first Talking Children's book. I joined forces with him and helped build that around the world by associating with little companies like Disney, Warner Brothers, Sesame Street. And so I understood a lot about publishing. I understood about manufacturing, international um, it, import export. And then um, in 1992, we had moved here to Arizona after selling, so selling that. My oldest son went off to college in September, came home in December in credit card debt. We didn't even know he had a credit card. So that was December of 1992. And that's when I dedicated the rest of my career to financial literacy, financial education, and entrepreneurship education.
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: you fast forward a few years, i had been working with school systems, hence the white hair, and my husband called me one day. Mike's, my husband is an intellectual property attorney. And he had met this guy in flip-flops and board shorts with this idea for a board game about money. So I met Robert Kiyosaki at a beta test for the game Cash Flow. And it was exactly what I was teaching, the importance of buying, building, and creating income-producing assets. So I volunteered to help him commercialize it. Mm-hmm. And during the process, he told me he wanted to charge $200 for the board game. pretty pricey. We're talking 1996. So you should probably write a brochure about the philosophy to get people to want to invest that kind of money. Mm. And that's when he asked me to become his partner. We were partners for over 10 years. That brochure that we wrote um, was called Rich Dad Poor Dad. Most people don't know that it was never intended to be a product on its own. We never expected to write 15 books together. But It took off. People wanted more. First, we said, we'll do a trilogy. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Cashflow Quadrant, Rich Dad's Guide to Investing. Oh, no. We ended up in the 10 years we worked together doing over 15 books and a myriad of other games and audio products. And it really was the right message at the right time. It was a true viral success before the internet, mm. before Amazon, believe it or not. And um, it took, kind of took the world by storm, over 50 languages, over 100 countries.
0: Mm. And
2: so that was really, um, that's when I found my, my, my passion, my internal, my internal passion. Mm. 2007, I made the decision to leave Rich Dad, not knowing what was ahead of me. I thought Rich Dad was my legacy. I'm yeah, writing 15 books, building the CEO. I was Kiyosaki's partner. I was a CEO of the company. I made the decision to leave because we were no longer aligned in what we wanted to create. And that's when I got the call from the pres- President Bush asking me to be on the first President's Advisory Council for Financial Literacy. So I served Bush and Obama. And I share this story with you, Jay, because sometimes you have to close one door in your life for other doors to open. So everybody watching and listening to this, I challenge you, is there a door in your life you need to close? A few months later is when I got the call from the Napoleon Hill Foundation. Now, I read Think and Grow Rich when I was 19. And we know what's happened to the world economy in 08. And they wanted to reinvigorate his teachings, the teachings of Napoleon Hill, Mm -hmm. and asked me to step in. Oh my gosh, what an incredible honor that was. Again, I wouldn't have had that call had I still been at Rich Dad. And so, again, I challenge every one of you, is there a door in your life you need to close so other doors of opportunity can open? And so that kind of brings me to today. I'm still working alongside the foundation. I have my own company, Pay Your Family First. And I have my new book, Exit Rich, which is with the Association of Inc. Magazine. So that's my Cliff Notes version of my long career.
1: I love that story. (laughs) I love it because... um, Okay. I have to relate now. I'm only 24, so I'm still very young. So I've got a long way to go on my journey, I hope. (laughs) I'm very excited to see what actually happens in my life. But I actually spoke to Robert Kiyosaki on the Story Box. He was one of the first people to actually believe in what I was doing and got to ask him a bunch of questions, which is absolutely excellent. And for those people that are wondering, like, Rich Dad, Poor Dad is a big book. (laughs) It's for any stretch of the imagination, you're saying it's like a pamphlet. (laughs) It's not not a pamphlet. It's a massive book, which is absolutely astonishing to actually hear that story from one of the co-authors. And I believe Robert told me about it too. But one of the standout things for me in that entire story is, you know, sometimes you have to close one door for another one to open or you can have a, vast majority of doors open for you, but it's the choice of which one, Hey, do I want to walk in, walk through? And, you know, looking back just sort of relating to you a little bit, if I didn't close the door on my real estate quote career, because I thought that was exactly what I was going to do for the rest of my life. I thought, cause I was good at it. I was, you know, making my boss a lot of money. i nest- wasn't really making myself a lot of money. Uh, And so if I didn't close on that door, then I wouldn't be doing this today. And I wouldn't be speaking with you, Sharon. I wouldn't be doing any of it. So I appreciate you sharing that. It's very, very wise counsel. Um, Yeah.
2: Well, people think they they choose a lane and they have to stay in that lane. Mm. And while you're there, learn everything you possibly can. But understand what is your, you know, what is your true passion in the book, Three Feet from Goal, which was the first book that I did with the Napoleon Hill Foundation. We talk about your personal success equation and you can go to personalsuccessequation.com to get kind of a guide in, in following through because it talks about combining your passion and your talent, the P plus T. And that's all about us. Mm -hmm. And So for me, my passion was I was actually angry that we weren't teaching kids about money in school. My talent was a long time career as an accountant and lots of publishing experience. Mm
0: -hmm. And so
2: I could combine those. But most of us try to do everything on our own. But true success comes from that P plus T times A, that power of association. Mm -hmm. As I talked about the Children's Talking book, our, our success came from aligning with Disney, Warner Brothers, Sesame Street, Marvel Comics. And then You know, When we had Rich Dad, we built it very, very well on our own. But in order to really explode around the world, we needed those other companies like Warner Books, Time Life, and publishers all over the world Mm -hmm. to help us really take it to the next level. Mm -hmm. And so the power of association is so important. So your passion, your talent times association, and then times A for action. How many times do we know what we're supposed to do? We simply don't do it. Mm. anybody busted yeah i know that happens to me all the time and so we almost went depressed with that as a formula. and i said there's still something that keeps people that are successful separate from others and mm. that's there's a last element plus f for faith confidence mm. in yourself confidence in what you're doing confidence that it's needed and necessary confident that you will succeed and when i start mentoring people when i start working with people I usually it's the power of association and self-confidence that need the most work. Mm. Then they go hand in hand at 24. You are, absolutely action taker. You've got your passion you know what you want to do, but that you need to have the right people around you, that power of association, that confidence in yourself. And they go hand in hand Mm -hmm. when you have the right people around you, the right people on your team, you have people who are strong where you are weak, your self-confidence comes up because when you have a bad day, they lift you up. Mm -hmm. And so that's everything I do is helping people find their own, their own joy through Mm -hmm. Um, developing their own personal financial wealth, as well as creating assets that work for them.
1: Mm. I appreciate you, you sharing that because that's what I've realized even like the amount of conversations that I've had with people, it, it, relationships matter. So how you foster those relationships in your life will determine either how much joy you have because it's not about stuff, like that's satisfaction. True fulfillment I've found is... Actually having conversations with people that do know more about life and have a lot more experience and are able to pass that on to you because then you're growing as a result. And then if you are having a bad day, you can go to them and say, Hey, I'm, I'm having a bad day. It's shocking. What advice would you give me? And then if they, you know, if they're having a good day or if they're having a bad day, it doesn't matter. You can sort of build each other up. And yeah, I think that's an important lesson for a lot of young people, even older people too, that are listening to this. Um, You you mentioned there for a moment about, you know, you have an accounting degree. Did you find that that helped you at all with the kind of advice that you give with money?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're not taught about money in school. And so getting an accounting degree wasn't so much what I learned in school, but when being in public accounting for a few years, I saw how companies created great success stories, but I also saw how many companies did not and what they did right, what they did wrong. And so that is invaluable information is learning street knowledge, not just book knowledge is seeing the the methods and the decisions that were made and learning from them have helped me create my many, many different businesses as well as helping many of my clients steer Mm -hmm. them around pitfalls accelerating their their path to success, opening doors of opportunity for them. It's mm. so important to make sure that you reach out and find a mentor. Because Speed to Market's everything today. Mm. And so you should have a mentor that can help you step into your world and help inter- make introductions for you, help open doors of opportunity for you.
1: Mm. Is that one of the reasons why you decided to write this book now, Exit Rich?
2: Yes, it is. It's kind of like a culmination of I've written. This is my 26th book.
1: Yikes. Um,
2: so 15 in the rich dad series. But I think it's really important for people to understand that um, too many people today have built themselves a job, not mm-hmm. a business. And they don't realize it because they're, they're still everything's wrapped around them. And we need to get to the point where we build a a business that can operate on its own. And so the six P's you referred to, Mm. um, the first one's people, having the right people in the seats, having the right people on the process, having the right mentor, having people who are strong where you are weak so that you can focus on continuing driving the forward momentum. Mm-hmm. Okay. The second one is your products. So many times people have one product. Let's have multiple products. Let's have, you know, the d- definition of what that product or service is. Then processes, your business systems. That's what allows you to take a successful company and make it scalable and sustainable, let alone saleable. You can't sell something that's not a standalone um, asset. Mm-hmm. And so then the fourth one is Proprietary. What do you own? What makes you different? What gives you that competitive advantage, that intellectual property? The vast majority of the valuation in businesses today is intangible. Mm. Um, 40 years ago, the Fortune 500 companies, 85% bricks and mortar, 15% intangible. Today, mm. it's more than flipped. Closer to 90% of the valuation is intangible and 10% bricks and mortar. And that's an advantage to us because it levels a playing field, that intangible valuation. But you have to under, identify it, protect it, and leverage it. Mm. And then the fifth one is your your people, the database, your patrons, mm. right? The patrons. So many people today get excited because they have a million followers on Instagram or Clubhouse or TikTok. Mm. You don't own those names, no. All right. So it's so important. You want that. Yes, you want that. It's great lead generation, All right. Your podcast, all that. But you want to bring them home to your mm-hmm. database by offering them something, nurturing them, providing that customer journey to become a, have a relationship with your customers so that you can communicate with them directly.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: then the six P is your profit. We all want to make profit. Too many of us so focus on the product and the profit. And they leave out all those other things. So when you get to the point where you want to sell a business, you can't. Mm. So when you start a business, do you really start it with the idea that you have to work until the day you die? Are you, are you starting it so that you can create something that gives you your time back and creates generational wealth?
1: Mm. How about if you are passionate about this job? Should you still sell that job, that that, that company?
2: Well, there's nothing wrong with being an employee. All right. So it's not what you make for your paycheck. It's not what you do for your paycheck. It's what you do with your paycheck that Mm -hmm. determines your financial future. And there are many people who they don't want to sell their business, but don't you want more flexibility in your life? So you may love the business you've built. You aren't, you're not going to love it if it's taking every minute of every day of your life. Mm. So let's create it. So it gives back your lifestyle so that it's there working for you, generating revenue for you. And you have your time back. You have more time with your family and your friends, and it's still generating revenue for you. And it's sustainable so that you can create it as a generational wealth to so keep it in the family, mm. or you can choose to sell it.
1: Mm. So if I wanted to sell a business, how would I go about actually getting the right price or the the best price possible to sell it?
2: Well, I would start by reading Exit Rich. (laughs) There's a a whole section in the book where we talk about finding the right buyers Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of looky-loos. You can kiss a lot of frogs. So let's make sure you find qualified buyers and the process of positioning yourself, including your employees, and when you should tell them when you shouldn't and getting to that point. But the valuation of your company is very important. You have an expert help you do that because a lot of people, a lot of people will come in and saying my business is worth 10 million when it's really worth two. Right. So you really need to have an outside support in determining what the true valuation and the industries are different. Some industries you're you're paid on multiple on, on multiples of your revenues, others it's multiples of your EBITDA, which is earnings before income tax depreciation and amortization. And so you, you need to understand what's right in within your industry. And that means having an expert on your team.
1: So why does the expert specifically determine how much your business is worth if they're not actually the owner and they haven't been part of the company? Isn't it the founder, isn't he the most qualified to actually say this is how much my business is worth because I put the bricks and mortar together?
2: Typically not because the founder has high emotion, and when you have high emotion, you have low intelligence. So that that professional understands the industry; they know who the, what the comp, comparables are, they know other businesses in that industry, what they've sold for. They have all that data at their fingertips, and they can come in and they can do an analysis of your financial statements and say, "Well, you know, we don't really, you know, we need to pull out the expense for your private plane." to get a better picture of what the actual financial records are. Mm. And so with the, the the owner's discretionary income sometimes gets in the way. So you have to make adjustments, but understand the value of your business is really important based on what other businesses in your industry have sold for.
1: Mm. So speaking about exit rich specifically, Mm -hmm. was there any challenge for you to actually write the book?
2: Well, distilling down all the information that you need to know into a really a very clear, concise roadmap on how to position yourself best for sell, And my co-author, Michelle Sawyer Tucker, is a, the number one female business broker in America. Mm-hmm. And so her, she was very tactical about what to do. And I'm much more strategic from a mentor or an investor's perspective. And there were a couple of areas where we didn't agree. And we share that in the book about how, you know, how we would perceive. And so that, that I think that actually just adds depth and content um, and incredible value to the book when we share. We were very honest about our differences of opinion. So I think it really adds it a lot to
1: it. So if someone was to pick up a copy of the book right now and turn to any page or chapter in the book that they're going to get the most out of it in terms of a challenge or a renewed perspective, is there a chapter or page that you would recommend someone turn to first?
2: Well, I think the very first part of the book, we talk about understanding the why. You know, why are you building your business? What's your outcome? And so it's hard to do everything else if you don't really know what you're looking for. My dad used to tell me a map doesn't do you any good if you don't know where you are and where you want to be. And in today's world where the phone knows where we are at any point in time, we've kind of lost track of that. But you really need to understand where, you know, what is your ultimate goal and where are you right now and how are you going to plan to get there? And so in building, you can't build a house without going down first. You build a strong foundation. You have to put in an electrical system, a plumbing system, in order for it to, you to have a home. Same mm-hmm. thing with your business. We don't know what we don't know. And it's very important to make sure you build in that structure, of the business, so that you can take your successful business and make it sustainable and then scalable and then saleable.
1: Mm. Has it been... uh A time in your life that you have sold a company that you regret selling it?
2: Um, Great question. Because what I teach people is you learn from what happens in the past. You don't regret it. You just move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I interviewed a friend of mine, Fred Wagenhall's, and he actually invented one of the ski type machines. And um, he sold that patent for $75,000. And so one of the, my friends said, oh gosh, you must just really regret that billion dollar industry. He says, no, because at the time it allowed me to Pay my mortgage. I was about to lose my home. It helped me pay my employees. And so it was a godsend. Mm-hmm. So, you don't, I mean, the, the what ifs of the world um, don't really help you. And so, his the whole concept was sometimes you have to do a deal so you can get to the next deal. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I try not to look back because we can't change what's happened in the past, we can only learn from it. We're all where we are today because of the choices we made before today. And if you want something different in life, just start making different choices.
1: Mm. Yeah, it kind of goes back to the the door door's opening analogy mm-hmm. that we use as well. So I relate to that. <laughs> no, no regrets, keep moving forward, don't get stuck. Otherwise you can be in a world of hurt. A couple more questions for you, Sharon, if you don't mind. So what are some of the pitfalls that, young entrepreneurs fall into when they first start out in running their own business?
2: They don't take the time to structure it properly. They get a little modicum of success. They start selling something. The money comes in and they don't take the time to build a legal structure. And it's not just the U.S. It's everywhere on the world. The, the legal structure to protect themselves and their other assets from the business. They don't put in the right systems. You, you create jobs for your friends or for people you know, instead of figuring out which jobs, what roles need to be performed and then finding the right people for each of those roles. It's much easier to manage a system than it is to manage personalities. And that happens more often than any time people, friends come together, they want to do something. And I always say, you know, plan your divorce before you plan your marriage. and Because when you start your business, you're all very excited about it. You're excited about the future, particularly when you're young, 24, you've got a buddy, you're going to go into business. Well, You know, in three to four years, one of you may have gotten married, have kids and decide you don't want to be in that business anymore. Well, all of a sudden it becomes a negative situation. So but when you're going in at 24, you go, you know, this may happen. So let's determine now what kind of how we will figure out how to separate. Let one Mm -hmm. of us out. And so you do it while you're excited about the future so that when that does happen, it's already delineated as to the process that you will follow. And Mm -hmm. that way you can maintain the business and the friendship along the way.
1: Which is great advice because I was in business, I think it was uh, 2019 with someone. It was a film related business and it didn't go too well at the end and it kind of the split was bad, <laughs> so it ruined the business and it ruined the friendship too, which we had built over a period of time, which is sad to think about, but it does happen and you just got to not allow it to impact on the next business or the next. You learn from that mistake and you kind of put in the practices and the, the, the necessary things for next time that it doesn't actually happen. <laughs> so you're, you're safe. So I appreciate you, you sharing that. Two final questions for you, Sharon, if you don't mind. This one uh, may be a hard one to answer, but we'll see how we go. What do you love the most about yourself and your story?
2: I believe, um, well, what I love most about myself and my story is that I truly live every day to support other people in reaching their dreams. And I do it with grace and love know, um, one of the greatest compliments I get is I, when I walk in a room, I fill it with love. So and that is always my goal. And it starts from listening to my father when I was a little girl saying, Sharon, have you added value to someone's life today? And for me, it's about the value. It's not about the money. I never chase the dollar. I never have. I never will. And it's about um, joy, bringing joy to other people. And in the process, that brings me joy.
1: Mm. Before I ask the final question, where can people find you, connect with you and buy a new book?
2: Well, thank you so much, JS. Exit Rich is at all your local bookstores and amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com. You can actually come to exitrichbook.com as well to order it there. There's lots of resources and tools there. But um, please reach out to me, info at com, an email you can send to me. Reach me on Clubhouse, Instagram, Facebook, author Sharon Lecter, um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I'm Sharon Lecter. LinkedIn, Sharon Lecter. So I'm pretty easy to find. I invite all of you to link up with me. And you can go to personalsuccessequation.com and download that as well
1: mm-hmm. for free. We, we connected on LinkedIn and you sent me a message the moment we did connect on LinkedIn. And I was like, I'm interviewing you, which is, is fun. I couldn't, couldn't wait. Um, so my final question for you, Sharon, this is my all time favorite question. I ask everyone at the end, it's a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll just call it magic for the sake of argument. But the been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life?
2: Well, I one of the things I tell people around the world is, and I have them repeat with me, you are fabulous. So I want people to have, that have met me to know that I have elevated them in some way. Um, The meaning of life for me is that uh, when I'm gone, I want people to feel that their life is better for having known Sharon Lecter. And I think um, living a life with love and grace, that's all life is all about, Mm -hmm. love and grace.
1: Perfect send-off message. Sharon Lecter, thank you so much for your time today and for coming on the Storybox podcast.
2: Thank you so much, Jay. I appreciate it. And I appreciate all of you participating. And I thank you, Jay, for making this opportunity available to all
1: of us.
3: Thank you, Jay. Thank you for having me.
1: It's a pleasure to have you here. I apologize in advance for butchering your middle name there. That's okay. We got there eventually. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm really excited to dive into your story today and really uncover why you decided to write this particular book, Exit Rich, in the first place. But before we do that, I have one question I love starting off all my conversations with, which is, what does success look like for you?
3: So success for me, um, really means that I can do anything I want to do when I want to do it. <laughs> like Plus, it means that you know my my husband's happy, my daughter, my husband's healthy and happy, my daughter's healthy and happy. and that it also means that I've helped save business owners from going out of business. I've helped. Business owners from, you know, I've helped business owners to maximize the sale of their business. I've helped them from uh, selling for pennies on the dollar. I've kept them from going out of business. I kept them from going out of bankruptcy. Success means to me really impacting others and helping as many business owners as I possibly can along the way.
1: When was the moment for you that you realized this was success for you in, in making an impact and helping people and businesses Was it this catalyst moment for you or is it sort of like this gradual thing over time that you've realized?
3: No, I think I I realized, you know, quite early on. I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always owned many different businesses. Um, I did start a franchise uh, sales, franchise consulting and development business. And I knew, I knew very on that I was good with people. I was a good problem solver. I'm um, very solution-oriented and I'm great at sales. In fact, my nickname is The Closer. <laughs> so, you know, I, I helped franchise franchisors build their business by selling franchises. Um, I've helped business owners sell their business for maximum value. So I always knew that I was good at negotiations. I'm a great people person. I'm a great problem solver. I kind of always knew that. Um you know, but for me, success is not final. (laughs) You know, I, I, success is all, is always ongoing. You know, I always have different benchmarks uh, that I'm trying to, to meet. So success is never final to me.
1: So what in your opinion makes a great closer?
3: Well, I think a great closer is somebody that number one shuts up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Good point. (laughs) Yeah.
3: You know, people talk too much and, um, you know you can't really close anything or sell anything to anybody unless you really understand the person that you're trying to sell to understand their wants understand their needs understand you know their pain points etc and let them do the talking and then find a solution i you know what makes a great closer is somebody who listens and talks a lot less <laughs> somebody who listens and listens intently, not just listens, but really, really listens intently. Somebody who can dig deep and really find out, you know, what's going on. Cause a lot of times clients don't know what they want. They don't know what they need. We have to figure it out for them. Mm-hmm. So somebody who can dig deep, ask the right questions, get to the bottom, you know, of the problem, get, get all the, you know, get all the answers and come up with solutions that are designed with the customer experience in mind, not solutions for your own agenda. Don't try, you know, I hate it when some, when salespeople try to sell you something just because they're going to get a commission off of it. You know, I think a good closer really has, it's it's somebody that really cares about the client more so than anything.
1: How long does it normally take you to close somebody? Is it the same well, big process or a long we're process?
3: We're talking about completely different sales. Selling businesses, is a long sell cycle. (laughs) You know, sometimes it can be, um, sometimes we can speed up the process depending upon the seller, depending upon the buyer, but all in all, it's a long process and uh, you're not just closing one person. First, you got to close the seller on moving forward to either build his business to sell or get him to agree to sell or her, him or her. Mm -hmm. And so that's one closing. (laughs) You got to sell the seller, the business owners. Then what do you got to do? Then you got to find the buyers. Mm. Then you got to close the buyer on giving you an LOI and negotiating. And then you got to go through due diligence and then you got to close on the attorneys. You got to close on a CPA. You got to close, you know, on the lender. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of players in the cycle. So it's not just, Oh, I'm going here to sell you a copier and I'm done. Mm. <laughs> you know? And it's a long sell cycle. And it's, it's not just about sales. It's 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 really all about education because most businesses are not going to sell. Steve Forbes says 80% of businesses will never sell. And Steve Forbes endorsed my book, Exit Rich. So there's a lot of education. There's a lot of fixing, a lot of growing the business. We don't just sell businesses. We specialize in buying, selling, fixing, growing. And so there's a tremendous amount of work <laughs> that has to go in to selling a business.
1: I can imagine because... We were just speaking a moment ago about how, you know, I didn't, when I was reading the book, I didn't really think about, you know, selling a business in the first place. And you said not many people do. And I'm, I've always been curious, why isn't that the case? Why don't people want to, quote, sell their business?
3: Well, because it's their mindset. Business owners don't think about their business as their valuable asset. Business owners think of their business as their baby. You know, this is my baby. I'll never sell my baby. Your business is not your baby. Your babies are at home. Mm -hmm. I always say, go home, hug them, love them, kiss them. Your business is your most valuable asset. So they have to treat it as such. But most business owners don't look at their business as an asset. Most of them have created a glorified job in which they go to work every day versus a business that actually works for them. And they're not planning. They're not, they're working in their business, not on their business. And they're not planning for the sell of their business because I think, Oh, I'm not, I'm never going to sell my business. It's a cash cow. It's a lifestyle business. It's this or that. And then guess what happens? Life happens. Mm -hmm. Life happens. Catastrophes happen. So they get, you know, there's partners, there's things that come up internal or external. Internal could be, oh, all of a sudden, wow, they were just diagnosed with cancer. Mm. Or a partner died, or there's partner disputes, divorce, you know, something like that. I had a lady call me from Texas not too long ago. Husband dropped out of a heart attack. Left her with a mountain of debt, and she wanted me to sell his business. He didn't have a business. He had a job that he had built for the last 20 years. But no employees, only subcontractors, no processes, didn't operate on what we call the six Ps and Exit Rich. So we really had nothing to sell.
1: Mm.
0: So,
3: so I couldn't help her. Mm. And business owners have to start changing their mindset. They have to work on their business, not in it. They got to start planning their exit. start planning their business with the end in mind. Like Stephen Covey says, you brought up Stephen Covey earlier, start planning the business, you know, Start with the end in mind. And that's what we work with business owners to do in Exit Rich.
1: So why is it the case? So, or pretty much what I want to ask now is when you, what if someone is passionate about their business currently and it's not a job for them, do you still recommend that they sell their business?
3: No, what I recommend is that you follow the advice in Exit Rich and you build a business that is sustainable, that you can scale. And when you're ready, you can sell. Mm. I do recommend that you follow the GPS exit model because business owners don't plan to fail. They fail to plan. The GPS exit model is a plan to sell. And if you follow this plan and let's say you decide you want to sell in 10 years, for $20 million and you get to year 11 and you're at worth $25 million you decide to keep it. So what? At least you got a great sustainable scalable business that is sellable when you're ready and a lot more profitable. The problem that I'm trying to explain to all these business owners and it drives me crazy is that these business owners are not thinking about their business. They're not setting their family up for success. This gentleman that was in business for 20 years, never built a business. Mm-hmm. He had a glorified job, so he left his, his wife is going to have to file bankruptcy. I'm sure that's not what he intended for her. So we really walk our business owners through what we call the GPS exit model. And number one, you got to figure out what's your destination. When you want to drive somewhere, what do you do? You pull out your phone, you go to Google Maps, and what's the first thing you plug in?
1: A destination.
3: Your destination. If you don't plug in your destination, what what happens to you? You get lost. (laughs) You get lost. You don't go anywhere. You drive around in circles. That's what happens to business owners. They have zero destination. Mm -hmm. So they drive around in circles and drive up the financial hills to end up nowhere. So we're really working with business owners to say, okay, let's figure out our destination. What is our end game? What's our desired sales price? Pick a number. So many business owners get hung up on a number and I'm like, Jay, it's just a number. (laughs) You can adjust it up or down. So let's say you want to sell your business for $10 million. Boom, there's a number. Now what's the GPS exit model need to know? It needs to know where are you starting from? What is your current location? And in other words, what is your current evaluation? What is your business worth today? Now, Jay, I don't know if you know this, but most business owners, especially in America, have never had their business evaluated. I met with a gentleman the other day. He's been in business for 40 years. That is financial suicide. You know, we go to the doctor once a year to get an annual checkup. We take our car to the mechanic once a year to get a tune-up, but we don't take our prized possession, our most valuable asset, which is our business, and get an annual valuation checkup. You need to do that Yearly, because there are events to increase valuation, there are events to decrease valuation. This pandemic is a perfect example of that. So mm-hmm. let's say you want to sell for 20000000 million, you're currently worth $5 million. Then the next thing the GPS accent model needs to know is time frame. Let's say you want to do this in 10 years. Great. Now you need to know, who are my buyers going to be? Mm-hmm. Now, notice I say buyers, Jay, because <laughs> so many clients to me say, Michelle, I already have the buyer. I just need you to represent me with that one buyer. And I'm like, no, (laughs) I won't do it. And the reason I won't do it is because I have to go in, I have to evaluate your business. I can guarantee you the business is not running all six cylinders. So I'm going to have to fix it and grow it as I go. I'm going to have to clean up your financial house. I'm going to have to start getting all the due diligence items together, get them in a data room. That takes a long time, a lot of work. And then I can promise you that one buyer is probably going to not close on the sale of your business. Mm-hmm. And yet no backup buyers. <laughs> so the only way I would do that is if I'm allowed to continue to market the business, bring backup buyers. Plus we can never maximize value if we have one buyer and there's five different types of buyers, but you can see this plan. It's a plan, you know? So if you say, okay, I want to sell for $20 million, five types of buyers, first time, 90% of buyers are first time buyers. You're not selling to them. So can roll them out. They buy coffee shops, restaurants, ice cream stores. They don't buy $20 million companies. Then you got turnaround specialists. They're not buying a $20 million business, so you can rule them out. Then you have PEGs, private equity groups. They buy based on platforms and add-ons. So let's say they want to get into um, the healthcare space. They won't even look at a company in the healthcare space for less than $3 million in EBITDA. EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. If they already have that platform, then they'll look at smaller companies under a million in EBITDA. And then the fourth type of buyer strategic slash competitors. They buy synergies. Jay, they pay the highest multiple. So mm-hmm. these are your best buyers because they're buying synergies to catapult their business to the next level. And then the last type of buyer, I call them storm chasers because they are serial entrepreneurs. They chase cash and they're industry agnostic. So now that you have your plan, you have to reverse engineer it and say, okay, well, if I want to sell for $20 million, where's the revenues need to be? The cogs, operating expenses, most importantly, where does the EBITDA need to end up at? If you want to sell for 20 million, the EBITDA is going to have to be around 4 million, depending upon your synergies. And then you ask yourself, what are the characteristics? What are all the synergies that these buyers are looking for and willing to pay top dollar for and outbid everybody else on? Mm. And then you build your business to meet their specific criteria. Mm. It's just like when someone starts a business, Jay here's their widget, here's their direct market, right? So they're like, this is my direct market, this is my widget. They do everything to be able to really meet this direct target market specific needs and criteria. Your business is your widget. (laughs) These are your buyers. You should be building your widget to meet their specific criteria. And let's say that you build this $20 million business, you got over $4 million in EBITDA, 10 years is here. And you decide, well, I don't want to sell it right now. I want to keep building. Mm. Great. What do you have? A much better business. What did you win? (laughs) A much better business that can operate without you, that's sustainable, that you can continue to scale, and it's making you a tremendous amount of money. Mm. Don't follow this. And what do you win? A business that is dependent upon you, So you have a job, not a business, and when you're ready to sell because a catastrophic event occurs, you won't have a sellable asset.
1: Mm. This is why Steve Forbes actually calls the endorsement of Exit Rich a goldmine for entrepreneurs. You You can obviously hear when you explain all that, if you are following along closely, why it actually is. What I'm curious about is if someone wants to pick up the book Exit Rich, And, you know, just start reading along. Does Exit Rich give them the same plan and formula to go out there and find buyers for their own business? Or do they go out and seek someone like you, Michelle, to help do that for them?
3: Well, here's the deal. Um, Yes. We're giving you all the meat and potatoes. (laughs) We talk (laughs) about the five different types of buyers. We talk about their their negotiables or non-negotiables and, how to negotiate with each type, but here's the deal. (laughs) Most business owners don't know where those buyers are.
1: Mm.
3: And most business owners want to maintain confidentiality because they don't want their employees knowing they're selling. They don't want their customers knowing. They don't want their vendors, their landlords, you know, they don't want everybody knowing that their business is up for sale because it can be detrimental employees get nervous. They get scared. When they find out a business owner is selling, many of them will try to jump ship. Clients get nervous. So confidentiality is always our number one priority. It's very difficult to try to sell your business on your own, create a bidding war, maximize value, and maintain confidentiality. It's kind of like saying I need heart surgery. Let me just cut my chest open, rip out my heart, and operate on myself. Mm -hmm. Yep.
1: Makes sense.
3: (laughs) So you really need an advisor because the advisors know where the buyers are. The advisors know how to evaluate the synergies. The advisors know how to create bidding wars. They know how to create auctions. You really need an advisor to maximize the value of your business. Not saying you can never do it on your own, but even if you have your own buyer, like I said, you always want to have backup buyers just in case.
1: Good point. And talking about buyers and value and and profit margins and all that sort of stuff, knowing uh, how much your business is worth, who is the one that is the right sort of determinant when it comes to value, especially in in a pandemic? Does the value of your business go up or does it go down? And who's the one that sort of determines that?
3: Well, so it depends upon the industry. Hospitality is down. (laughs) Mm-hmm. restaurants are down, you know, home goods are up, manufacturing's up, healthcare is up, staffing's up. um, Like I said, anything home related is up. Real estate is way up. Yeah. So it really depends upon the industry if the value is going to be up and down, up or down. And then who determines that? Well, let's see. We determine what the valuation is going to be. Valuation is... More of an art rather than a science because we don't just evaluate the numbers, the EBITDA. We also evaluate the business on the six Ps. We evaluate the synergies that 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 business brings to the table, and we know what buyers are willing to pay top dollar for these certain synergies, mm. right? We also know what buyers can take advantage of economies of scale because they already have an infrastructure and they can decrease cost, and we know what buyers can decrease infrastructure um, like we're selling a manufacturing company that has a $5 million distribution center. We have a buyer that has manufacturing, but has distribution all over the United States. First thing they're going to cut is that $5 million distribution center. That's going to cut $5 million from operating expenses and increase their EBITDA exponentially. Mm. So we determine You know what that range is that 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 valuation is rather it's increased or decreased. um, And it's based on different methods. I mean, if a business did really, really good, there are some industries that had their best year ever during this pandemic and they think they're going to get paid for that one year. No, you're not going to get paid for that one year unless that one year continues on, Mm -hmm. unless it looks like you're projecting out for 2021 to be the same, if not better than 2020, same thing with 2022. Otherwise, buyers are gonna look at the last three years and they're gonna consider 2020 as an anomaly. Same thing with an industry that's not doing well. We're, we are stripping out 2020 for them and we're basing things on 17, 19, I'm sorry, 18, 19 and 2021. But to further illustrate my point and answer your question, At the end of the day, I have my value. You know, owners have their price in their mind. I have my value based upon over 20 years of experience, a thousand deals later. But at the end of the day, who determines value? Mm. The buyer does. The buyer determines what that value means to them and what that value will do for their current company. Mm. Does that answer your question?
1: It does. (laughs) I've always just wondered about, you know, the buyer obviously determines what they're willing to pay for the kind of business, but you as the person being the one that sort of it's your baby, right? So you are the one that sort of wants a particular amount. And you mentioned the hospitality industry, it's down, it's flat because of the pandemic. But if Mm -hmm. you still want your business to sell for a certain amount, is that still possible? Like I've always been curious about that, especially, yeah, especially in the kind of times that we are in, like if you – or still, once again, does that, that determine what the buyer is willing to pay for it?
3: it? It is what the buyer is willing to pay for. it. Yeah. And what the sellers willing to accept. Yeah. Now, as an experienced M&A advisor, senior business analyst, and a bunch of other titles behind my name, I have a tremendous amount of experience that I'm really good at valuations. The way that I get my clients more than what their business is worth, on average, we get our clients 20 to 40% more than what the business is worth. is because I bring multiple buyers to the table, which mm-hmm. creates a bidding war. Because if you've got a good business, there are more buyers for good businesses than there are good businesses to buy.
1: Smart. <laughs> like so
3: when, when you have EBITDA over under a million dollars, there's going to be less buyers. We have EBITDA over a million. There's a lot more buyers. There's 30.2 million businesses in the United States. A very small percentage of them actually have EBITDA over a million dollars. Mm.
1: So, Michelle, uh, where can people buy your book right now? And, yeah, before I ask the final two questions.
3: So I think it really depends upon where you live. Because <laughs> <laughs> yep. shipping cost is outrageous. Mm. So if you live anywhere outside the United States, I suggest that you go on Amazon um, and buy the book. Anywhere outside the United States, go to Amazon. If you live inside the United States, go to exitrichbook.com. Well, let me give you choices. If you live inside the United States, you can go to Amazon. You can go to your Barnes & Noble. You can go to your favorite bookstore, your favorite local bookstore, or you can go to exitrichbook.com. Now, exitrichbook.com, we have tons of bonuses that we're giving to, to everyone that buys our book. So if you buy it from Amazon, just send us the receipt. Or if you buy it from a bookstore somewhere else, just send us the receipt with your email address, contact information, and we will still give you all the bonuses. So let's talk about the bonuses. So in the United States, if you want to go to exitrichbook.com, $24.79 plus shipping in the United States. Outside, go to Amazon because it's less expensive for shipping. And we will email you the digital download copy number one. Number two, we will send the hardcover cover to your doorstep. Anyone in the United States will give you a lifetime membership. So this is for everyone that orders a book and emails us your receipt. I'll give you a lifetime membership into the x Book Club, where there's video content and we're doing training and some of these different um, techniques and strategies that I've been training teaching on for the last 20 years in the field, plus documents, documents to run your business and Sell your business, so we have sample policy procedure manuals, employee handbooks, non-compete agreements. We have sample LOIs, lever intents, purchase agreements, due diligence, um, closing checklists, closing documents. All of that stuff that you need, all those documents you need to operate and sell your business, are there for your review and download. Now, let me tell you something. These documents in America, I don't know about Australia, but these doc- documents in America will cost you over $50,000 to recreate. Yeah, because I'm a firm believer that attorneys is charged by the word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we will also give you a free membership in two club CEOs, a 30-day free membership in the club CEOs. So those are all the bonuses that wherever you buy the book, wherever works for you, whether it's Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your favorite bookstore, or exitrichbook.com, then we will uh, give you all these bonuses.
1: That's amazing. I'll make sure everything is in the show notes when this does air for people to find. Okay, my final question for you, Michelle, this is my all time favorite question. I ask everyone at the end. It's a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Then ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll just call it magic for sake of argument. Being able to get it and show it to you on your hundredth birthday, what do you want that film to say and to show about your life?
3: I would love that film to show all of my clients, <laughs> all of the clients who businesses I help save, all the clients, businesses who I help sell sell, all of the buyers who I've worked with and you know, I've helped buyers leave their jobs. I've helped them, you know, buy a business of their dreams create a better quality of life, you know, have financial freedom. I would love it to show all of my clients because my clients, you know, that's my mission. That's my passion. That's my everything. Other than my daughter and my husband, of course. And then I would just love it to show everybody that I've impacted along the way. And, um, I would love it to show the success of of my daughter and that Arabella follows in mommy's footsteps. I don't know if she will, (laughs) but I can hope. (laughs) Never know. Um, And I would love, I would want it to show all my friends and family and this huge network of love around me.
1: Michelle, Sila, Taka. Thank you so much for your time today, for your story, all your advice. I know it's going to help so many people out there. Go and get a copy of Exit Rich. But thank you so much for coming on the Storybox podcast today.
3: Thank you, Jay. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure being with you.
1: I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guests today. Is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then.
0: Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth.